Welcome to Season 2 of How to Hold a Grudge, the podcast. I'm Sophie Hanna, best-selling crime writer and author of the world's first ever book on the specific subject of grudges. Join me and expert guests to find out how grudges can enhance your life and make the world a more peaceful and compassionate place. And this is Episode 2, Criticisms Are Not Grudgeworthy the main criticism I have received since I started this podcast and since I published the book and I've received it probably up to about 30 times now uh, from people who have written in and the criticism is that they don't think my definition of the word grudge is correct so I'm not going to read out all the emails I've had from people who who've put forward this criticism I'm just going to read one which I think sums it up really well Some of us would call that a lesson, not a grudge. You are repurposing the word grudge. A grudge is necessarily negative towards the person you are holding it against. If you feel positive about a person, remember what happened and change your thoughts and or behaviour because of it, that is not a grudge. Okay, so I don't agree with that obviously, because that point of view is is criticism of my theory. But because lots of people have said that, you know, I've written this book saying a grudge is not a negative feeling, a grudge is instead something else. And lots of people have responded by saying, no, no, a grudge really is and has to be a negative feeling. I thought that criticism was worth discussing. And I don't find that any criticisms of my book or my theory are grudgeworthy. Anyone is allowed to say whatever they like about whether they agree with the book and the theories in it or not. That's absolutely fine. And what I thought I would do is invite onto the podcast a representative of that point of view. Now, I regularly walk my dog, Brewster, in a disused cemetery in Cambridge. And one day I was walking my dog in the cemetery with my friend B and her dog. And we bumped into a friend of B's, uh, Robert Hanks, who has very kindly joined me on the podcast today. Hello, Robert. Hello. Thank you for coming in. Now, Robert is a critic. uh, And so since this episode is called Criticisms Are Not Grudgeworthy, I thought, what better than to have an actual critic on the show? Uh, Anyway, Robert and I started talking about my grudge book uh, because B was telling him about it. And Robert said, hmm, but it sounds like what you're describing isn't really what I'd call a grudge. I'm not sure I'm going to agree with this theory. So when I was planning this episode, I thought, absolutely have to invite Robert on the show. And he very kindly agreed to come on. So, Robert, I'm hoping that you will agree with the criticisms that many people have sent in, the the specific criticism that what I'm defining as a grudge isn't in fact a grudge and I'm hoping you still think that as you said in the cemetery so that we can then chat about it so now is your chance to criticize my theory yes I haven't budged I still (laughs) think you're absolutely wrong about what a grudge is and the way that people use the word okay why and how am I wrong um you're wrong because you think that a grudge needn't involve bitterness that's right. And I think that the bitterness is the grudge. That if, if there's no bitterness involved, then it simply is, it's simply a memory. It's, it's a thing that happened. Okay. So now, you agree then with all the dictionaries. All the dictionaries say that a grudge is a feeling of bitterness, resentment, hostility. And the reason I don't agree with that 
is because I personally have grudges that contain no bitterness and anger. So if I said that to you, if I said, well, hang on a minute, Robert, I know that a grudge isn't a feeling of bitterness because I have at least 20 grudges that have no feeling of bitterness associated with them. And they are indeed just stories I choose to remember because they're useful to me. What would you say to that? Well, there are two things. One is, I mean, dictionaries, they're not kind of laying down rules arbitrarily. What they're doing is recording how people use a word. Yes, And that's so that's, true. when I use the word grudge, and I think when most people I've talked to um, and the word grudge has come into a conversation, use it, it always means something bitter. Um, you know, that there's a, maybe not hatred, but some level of dislike, anger, something going on underneath. Um, and you've got a very idiosyncratic use of it. I mean, you're being like Humpty Dumpty in is it Alice in Wonderland or Through the Looking Glass. You know, words mean what I want them to say. There's glory for you. <laughs> um, and I think I, I don't. I don't think you can overrule the rest of mankind, or at least the rest of the English-speaking world, and say no, no, no. You've, you're using this word incorrectly. Only I have understood it properly. Well, but could I say that in my life, so the grudges I have, unless they are very fresh and recent, in which case they will still have negative feelings associated with them. But if, say, a grudge of mine is more than a month old, if it's not about a hugely upsetting thing, then the negative feelings of bitterness and hostility will have passed. And what I'm left with is... Almost like, I mean, I call it a pop-up G. If you imagine like a little flag that pops up in my mind with a big letter G on it. And what that pop-up G tells me is this person doesn't have a completely clean slate. There is something I need to remember about this person. It's almost like a good analogy is, you know, in, in schools, if a child does something wrong or breaks a rule, sometimes a teacher will say, right, that's going on your report. We've made a note of it. It's going on your report. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that as that child walks around the school for the rest of the term, teachers are going to snarl at him or hit him over the head with cricket bats. It just means this has been noted. We feel it's still relevant to keep that in your official report. But the teachers might not have feelings of rage towards the child. They just want to bear in mind that thing happened. That is how... I use the word grudge. Now, I do accept what you've said about I can't overrule, you know, everybody else's definition, which is much more popular. But if I tell you that in my experience, as someone who has many, many grudges, that that is what a grudge is to me and that it doesn't necessarily, uh, and in fact, it doesn't even contingently involve bitterness, resentment, hostility, then are you saying that I'm wrong about the way I hold grudges? Or is it possible that I just hold grudges in a different way from everyone else? Well, that's one possibility. Or the other possibility is that the things that you're calling grudges, you should actually find another word for. And there's actually a third possibility, yes. which I got from reading your book, yes. which is that although you say there's no bitterness, actually these things are rankling. And in fact, or at least some of them, certainly, I got the impression that there was more rage involved than you wanted to let on to yourself. Interesting. Whilst you say, so for example, the story that stuck with me was your story about Michael upside down in the doorway. Yeah. This is your friend who came when you were staying at his house and in the middle of the night, without knocking, opened the door, turned the light on and started peering around under the bed 
yeah. for his dog, which yeah. turned out to be next door. So he hadn't even bothered looking very far first and he didn't apologise. Yeah. And you said that this was something you noted about him and you weren't ever going to stay in his house again, but you still liked him and valued him as a friend. And I thought the way you wrote about him and other aspects of his behaviour, not just yes. the dog thing, I thought, well, this person actually sounds really quite objectionable. Yes. And the way you're writing makes it clear that he's objectionable. And though you're saying you hold no bitter feelings, maybe there's more bitterness there than you thought. Okay, so that's really interesting. So that's two suggestions there. Suggestion one is that I should maybe use a different word. So rather than try and take the word grudge and redefine it so that it's more in line with my experience of grudges, I could just pick a new word. That's a good point. I don't agree with it, and I'll I'll tell you in a, in a minute why I don't agree with it, but I, I take the point absolutely. And the other possibility is that I actually do have some bitterness and rage that I am either repressing or not fully owning up to. So in the case of the Michael upside down in the doorway grudge, and I will just explain in case anyone hasn't read the book or hasn't heard about this particular grudge of mine before, as indeed, why should you have heard of it? Um, it's the first grudge story that I include in my book, How to Hold a Grudge. Uh, and it's exactly as Robert described. I was sleeping in the guest room at my friend's house. He came into the room in the middle of the night, turned on the light, waking me up in quite a sort of shocking and disturbing way um, and was looking for his dog, who for some reason he thought might be in my room. The dog then turned out to be in the next room. And the crucial grudge-worthy aspect of this situation was that he had not checked the rest of the house before storming into my room and interrupting my sleep. He could easily have checked the rest of the house. No one was sleeping in it. So that was the grudgeworthy thing. And yes, in the book, as Robert says, I connect that with other stories about Michael contriving to wake me up when I'm staying at his house. So in answer to the, you know, am I secretly angry about that? I'm definitely not at the moment at all bitter, angry or resentful about it. When those things happened in the moment, I was. I had all the feelings you would have in that situation. I did indeed think, what objectionable behaviour? How dare he? Doesn't he care that I'm asleep? You know, I'm never going to stay in his house and it'd serve him right if I never actually spoke to him again. I was properly cross. I'm not in any way trying to say that I do not experience negative feelings. What I'm saying is, that those negative feelings in time, they're just not there anymore because the thing hasn't sort of recently happened. And and I find that my way of holding what I call grudges helps those feelings to pass because what happened in the Michael and the sleep situation was that I felt the angry feelings. I decided that his behaviour was unacceptable. I decided I needed to do something about that so that I wasn't just a victim of his unreasonable behaviour. So I needed to protect myself. In order to do that, I first gave myself official permission to have a grudge. And that grudge is a negative judgment of the behaviour, not of him as an overall person. It's very much separate the sin from the sinner, but definitely a negative judgment of his behaviour in that situation. I allow myself to hold that grudge officially tell myself that story and recognise it as a grudge story. So then I have my commemorative justice object in the form of my grudge. And I use that to protect me by 
deciding that I will not stay at his house again, that process of giving myself permission to do that without feeling any guilt about having a grudge, that actually means that the anger passes much more quickly. So now I'm like, I've got this great grudge. It's a hilarious story. I mean, in the book, I go into all the mad detail of the story. I don't have to stay at Michael's house ever again if I don't want to. The bitterness and resentment that happened in the moment has long since passed and it isn't there anymore, hard baked into the grudge. Now, you don't look convinced. Why not? It's not a grudge. Okay, so now we're... So, okay, so now we go... <laughs> if, okay. if that's true, it's not a grudge. I mean, as I say, I think it seemed to me, you know, speaking as, as a critic, um, yes. that reading, reading what you wrote about Michael, if, if he read that about himself, I assume yes. he's quite disguised, so he couldn't actually read it and work out who you was from that. Um, I don't but, know how... I mean, certainly superficial details of the story right. have been changed. I don't know whether he would you know, see through those details and work out that it was him. Um, I suspect if he did, he would ring me up and say, you know, hey, you shouldn't... What he would say is he'd say, you shouldn't have minded any of those things. It was well, just me doing X. It was just me doing okay, Y. Okay, that's, that's, that's about Michael's particular personality. But I, I think most people reading about themselves, discovering that they were in your grudge book yes. with behaviour like that would think oh, my God, she's still really angry about this. She says she isn't, but I can feel that's, you know, this to me feels very negative, having it written about in this tone, in these terms. Interesting. I mean, I'm not denying that people... I mean, I've gone to great lengths to make sure that enough superficial details are changed so that no one will worry that they're recognisable. Um, but I have really carefully explained in the book that I'm not angry with any of these people. I may have been and probably was in the moment or upset by, but I don't think, I mean, I'm interested if you think that I'm repressing it, but anger is a, a quite sort of hot, burning, energetic feeling. And I don't have any feelings like that of anger still that remain about any of the people, any of the stories that I've written about in the book. No, anger isn't necessarily hot and burning. I think anger can be quite a sort of cold, sullen, heavy feeling. Yeah, no, I don't ones. have that. But, what, but what? I mean, the point is, I'm not, and I'm not saying you have it in a huge degree. Yeah. I'm not saying you're suppressing some rage that yeah. you know, your inner hulk is trying to get out and yeah. rend and tear. But I just think you, you're actually still irritated by it. And it's, you know, you're just a bit pissed off, if I can say that. Yes. And, uh Okay, well, I mean, I definitely don't think that's true. I think what might give that impression is that when I'm writing, so in between the chapters of my book where I'm saying what I think people should do with their grudges and how to hold a grudge usefully and correctly, I've got my top 10 grudge stories from my own personal grudge cabinet. And when I'm writing those stories in a narrative way, I'm trying to bring them to life by putting into them some of the oh, my God, isn't this unreasonable feeling? Because otherwise, you know, those stories okay, have to no, work as that. narrative. So. I have to say, I've, I mean, I'm, I'm just overcome at the moment by an urge to go away and qualify as a psychoanalyst and then get you on my couch and really, really? delve into what's going on. Yeah, <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm sure I absolutely need that to be done to me. Well, can you wait <laughs> a few had... years? 
I have had lots of therapy. And actually, funnily enough, one of the guests on season one of this podcast was my therapist for eight years. Um, and she says that she thinks that for me, thinking of my grudges as stories and writing them down and using them to get any benefit I can in terms of protection and inspiration and, you know, using them as commemorative justice objects. She thinks all of that is great for sort of processing negative experiences. Um, and that's all. That's the only claim I'm really trying to make. What I'm saying is not that I avoid negative feelings. I absolutely don't. If something were to happen, I mean, if you were to do something grudgeworthy right now, I would absolutely seethe and cry and be upset and be angry. But then once the initial incident was receding into the past a bit and I started thinking, OK, now I'm going to get the benefits of this. I'm going to write my grudge story. I'm going to write a list of lessons I'm going to learn. I'm going to think about how I'm going to behave towards Robert in future. Just putting all my energy into doing something constructive and creative like that would necessarily take energy away from those feelings and then they stick around for as long as they stick around and then they pass no, I mean, on. I w as I say, I'm not suggesting that your Hulk is trying to get out and, and I'm <laughs> not, you know, you, it sounds to me as though you have a healthier attitude towards anger than I do. I mean, I'm I'm almost incapable of expressing anger, um, except when I'm behind the wheel of the car and my family will complain that I scream at other drivers a lot. <laughs> but um, but I, I actually drive in a very timid and defensive way right um you know there's no there's no kind of accelerating or yeah slamming the brakes on hard um do you think the reason you detected some anger was could have been because i was trying to bring those stories to life and make the reader experience the grudgeworthiness that is possible maybe maybe i'm just judging you on the fabulous success of your prose enterprise <laughs> Okay, so let's but, go to your other criticism, which is that's not a grudge. It's yep. just a memory. It's just a story. Okay, so if you're going to make that claim, I would like to say, what, like, okay, how can you prove it's not a grudge? If, if the person, if the grudge-worthy person in each story, let's say, does not have a clean slate with me, I've done the equivalent of make a note on their report card, using the school analogy, if I were to bump into them on the street, I would think, huh, that person did a grudgeworthy thing. I have that grudge about them. I, I will remember this in my dealings with them from now on. Why is that not a grudge? If you're, but you're saying there is no anger or bitterness. And as I say, not I feel... Anymore. That, but there is... No, but, but it is the lasting anger and bitterness. It is that cold, sullen feeling that persists that is a grudge. Okay, but I'm saying <laughs> that isn't the grudge i'm saying that if you have a persistent feeling of cold anger or bitterness then that is a persistent feeling of cold anger or bitterness a grudge commonly referred to as a grudge <laughs> and the dictionaries would agree with you for me what a grudge means is so if let's say you know god came down and said sophie you please rewrite the dictionary what i would define grudge as is a story as a result of, so a story about a previous wrong that someone did to you, and as a result of the story, that person does not have a clean slate in your mind. Why is that not a valid definition of the word grudge? Because it's not how people use it. It's simply well, it is not, sometimes. You know, I, it is sometimes. 
In fact, I, I can even prove this. I can. I even... mean, I can't think of examples of this, and I certainly can't think of examples in conversations I've had where people have used grudge in that way to suggest that there is no bitterness about it. Well, that's really interesting because I, I definitely can. I mean, when I told people I was writing this book, loads of people said, oh, I've got loads of grudges. Um, and then when they told me their grudge stories, a lot of them, they said, oh, yeah, I mean, I stopped being angry ages ago, but I'll never think in the same way about them again. That, to me, is just as common a use of the word grudge, isn't it? Well, I have to say it's not one I've come across very often, if at all. Um... Interesting. OK, well, so, so, OK, so the conclusion of that discussion is that we still disagree. I still like my definition of a grudge. I'm still going to use it. Robert still likes his definition and he's still going to use that one. So no, that please is... don't call it my definition. It is <laughs> okay. everybody's definition. Robert still likes his and the dictionaries and everybody else's definition. Uh, and to go back to the criticism email that it's I read out. the will out, of the people. Stop trying the to will, ignore the will, <laughs> the will of, the of the people. Okay. Um, the, the email I read out before. Some of us would call that a lesson, not a grudge. You are repurposing the word grudge. So, yes, I guess I can concede that I am deliberately. I'm not saying, what do you mean? What do you mean? This is a grudge. That's not a grudge. I am conceding. That according to the will of the dictionaries and everybody else, um, a grudge is a feeling of bitterness and anger. I am trying to repurpose the word because for me, and I believe for a significant number of other people, I don't think it's just me, the word grudge has another equally common meaning, which is that person doesn't have a clean slate with me, even if my anger has passed. See, I think what you should have done is called it something like how to hold a gridge. And then you would have explained that a gridge is very like a grudge, but there is this difference. Or, you know, I'm not saying you could, you'd have to use that word. I'm sure you could find a nicer one. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, absolutely. I could have found another word. Or you could have said how to hold a, air quotes, grudge. I could have done. But, but I know so many people who use the word grudge in the way that I do. No clean slate for that person, but no remaining active feelings of anger so i am going to fight for my see, definition as being another, equally valid there is another point i want to make which is about how people use the word grudging conversation yes and i think that it is quite rare for people to say i hold a grudge against someone in a serious way i think it is almost always used in a kind of deprecating ironic semi-humorous way Whereas if you say someone else has a grudge, oh, he's really got a grudge against her, that can that can suggest real bitterness. But whenever we use it about ourselves, being British and not prone to emotional displays, mm. um, it's kind of, oh, it's a little jokey thing. And that's why people can use it in that way to you and say, oh, but of course I stopped being angry ages ago. But when you're talking quite seriously about grudges as, as a phenomenon in the world, that, that implies something rather different. Yeah, I think I agree with that, actually. Um, and it, why would that be? Do you think people don't want to say very seriously about themselves, I have a lifelong grudge about Fred, in case that makes them sound either overly emotional or too zealous? I mean, why, why are we able to talk about other people's grudges as serious things, whereas our own have to be, oh, just a little joke, a little grudge I've got about somebody? Um. I think it's because we live in a culture where anger is seen as quite a negative thing. So no and one I think wants that's actually very healthy as well. It. I mean, I'm always fabulously impressed when in London 
by how many people there are crowding together in a tiny space, bussing around, tr- struggling to get on with their lives, and how few fights break out. <laughs> I think it's it's an extraordinary sort of achievement yeah. that we have this civilization where violence is really rare. And I think that shame about holding grudges probably is part of that structure that we've built up. But it also means that people you know, do have things boiling away sometimes. Yeah, so people don't want to admit directly to anger or, you know, given that so much of our culture, you know, we've had it drummed into us that holding a grudge is bad, that we should forgive, that we should move on. People maybe also don't want to admit to what's perceived as unforgivingness. They don't want to be seen as the sort of person who wouldn't forgive and move on. I was going to say this is a Judeo-Christian thing, forgiveness, but actually it's a specifically Christian thing because the Judeo part is much more an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, I guess, or that would be the mm. Christian Of course, according of to my theory, so you will have noticed that I say to you, and indeed to everybody, I hold grudges. I don't say that with any defensive irony. I'm totally upfront about holding yeah. grudges, but that's because I reject the idea that holding a grudge is the opposite of forgiving someone. And that's because you have denuded the grudge of all meaning before you say you hold it. Well, I think that's slightly unfair. I've changed the meaning. I'm giving grudge a different meaning. Uh, But I crucially believe that holding grudges in the way I'm suggesting is actually an aid to forgiveness. It helps you to forgive emotionally much more quickly by allowing yourself intellectually to make that grudge judgment and there I agree as I say I think you have I think you (laughs) let me have my bad puns go on I think I think you have a healthier attitude to anger than I do as I say and and possibly the most of us do that you allow yourself to express it and move on I just think that's the opposite of having a grudge the grudge is an anger that's not properly expressed or not properly satisfied Interesting. Okay, so I don't think we're going to agree on whether my definition of the word grudge is valid or not. We're both very stubborn and we're not backing down. Now, I want to ask you about another thing that I I believe uh, is something that, that you have an opinion about, which I may also disagree with, but that's fine. We can disagree and that's not grudge worthy. You mentioned, no, well, I don't think you can have a grudge about me for not being persuaded if you want. That's fine. You said earlier when we were chatting that you think some things are too big to be defined as a grudge. So some some wrongs or offences or transgressions you don't think would qualify for the description of grudge because they're too big and serious. Is that True. I think a grudge implies quite a narrow focus, and I think Michael in the doorway, search, you know, searching for the dog. That's a good example of a kind of grudge thing. That it's it's quite it's quite small and specific. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example. So, what what but, sort of thing would be too big? Well, an example that's in your book, um, in your classification of grudges, when you list all the different types. Yes. One of them you have is the abandonment grudge. Yes. And you describe the experience of someone who, at the age of 14, came home and found that his family had moved away without telling him. He just came home from school one day, I think, and left all his belongings in black bags outside the back door. He was utterly abandoned. Now, you you told me that he told you that his, that was his big grudge. But yeah. to me, that's so much more than a grudge. It's too existential. It's you know, all-encompassing your entire life is sort of shaped by something like that. I mean, it's probably the biggest, in terms of like 
absolutely awful things that somebody could do to you, it is, I would say, by far the most serious one in my book. I mean, there was even some discussion about whether it was too upsetting to include. But I said to my editors, I said, you know, I really want to include this because when I was gathering grudges for the book, which I did in a range of ways, I put out the call on Twitter, on Facebook, I spoke to people at events that I did. And this particular grudge came from an event. And I said, you know, if anyone has any grudges, no grudge too small, you know, let me let me know if you would like me to be in the book. And this chap came up to me and said, I have a grudge that I really want you to put in your book. I've had this grudge for many, many years. It's the defining grudge of my life. I'll have it till I die. I'm never getting rid of this grudge. It's a big part of me. And then he wrote in great detail this story. So he defined it as a grudge. Yes, I, ac- I accept that. I mean, I... And to be fair, I think that use of grudge is less wrong than your use of grudge. Um, <laughs> so my, my, you think my definition's not only wrong, but like even the wrongest of the wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, um, but generally, so, I mean, in conversation, it's not how do you, I mean, I was trying to think, what, how would you use it? Could you say, you know, do Germans have a grudge against England over the 1966 World Cup? I think that would be a kind of, that's sort of grudge-worthy. That's, that's yeah. sort of the right scale. On the other hand, to say Japan has a grudge against the United States over the atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, that would seem to me, no, that's... That's diff- that's whatever it is that they feel. It's not a grudge. It's too huge. It's... So now I sort of agree and disagree at the same time. I think there's something there's something almost cute and comical about the word grudge. It's the word, isn't it? You, like grudge, you could imagine like a little furry creature running around with legs, well, like and a, a Grinch, like a Grinch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. I do see what you mean, but I also think if you think of either of our meanings of a grudge, so either your meaning of lasting and enduring anger and bitterness, or my meaning of this person does not have a clean slate, and I need this story to be remembered as a commemorative justice object that validates my emotional experience, those are our two definitions. By either of our definitions, the abandonment grudge of the boy whose family had disappeared and put his possessions outside the house in plastic bags would qualify, right? That is, it is a lasting feeling of bitterness for him because he he did actually seem very worked up about it. And his parents do not have a clean slate with him because he actually said, he wrote a longer version of the story than I was able to include in the book, but he said... They've got in touch with me several times since wanting to try and build bridges and I'm just not interested. So they don't have a clean slate with him. So I think the issue is the word, not the meaning, because either of our meanings would and allow I a think very it big... Is also because... And here I'm straying away from the dictionary, maybe, but mm. I think the way people use the word grudge implies something slightly unreasonable. And his bitterness is entirely reasonable oh oh this is a new and exciting development so you think there's something inherent to the word grudge and its common usage that implies the grudge holder is being unreasonable i think it implies i think it implies a degree of bitterness that is only slightly maybe but somehow in excess of the injury or at least given the time that has passed 
Okay. I mean, it is, the, it is the suggestion that the anger is being held on to. And so in, a, in, a re, in the normal course of things, you would feel anger, it would flare up, and then bit by bit it would fade away, and you would remember that incident and think, <laughs> how angry I was at the time, but now I don't feel it at all. But with the grudge, you're thinking, no, I'm not going to laugh at that. I'm still going to, I'm going to stoke the fires. So, okay, so that doesn't work with my definition of grudge because that's exactly what happens. The anger does pass and you you don't think, ha, 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 I've moved on. You think, ha, 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 I'm going to remember that story and use it to benefit me in future. But I do think, I mean, I think you're right that there is maybe an implication of unreasonableness in the word grudge. And I think that comes from, you know, if we if we agree that most people think of grudges as being the opposite of forgiving someone, we're all taught that it's good to forgive. Therefore, the word grudge has some kind of preconceived notion of unreasonableness built into it because it's not forgiving someone. Unless you use my definition, in which case then it can be absolutely compatible yeah, with forgiving someone. And I am going to use my definition because I think it's a better one. I mean, what about this for an argument? Just a last ditch attempt to persuade you before I ask you for one of your grudges, because I'm going to be asking guests on this season of the podcast if they have any great grudges they would like to share with listeners. But I first want to just make one last attempt uh, to make you agree with me, which is this. If I say that holding grudges in the way I'm suggesting, where you accept that the bitterness and anger are not an intrinsic part of the grudge and that the grudge is just a story you want to remember. If we could adopt my definition, let's say, let's just say it were possible that suddenly grudge means to everybody what it means to me. Wouldn't is that it be better? Is have some extensive lobbying of the dictionaries at this point? <laughs> Somehow it's been achieved. Isn't my way of holding a grudge, assuming everyone could adopt it, a more productive way? Whereas the hanging on to feelings of anger and bitterness is not going to do anybody any good, either you or your grudgee. No, as life lessons in coping with anger, I'm happy to endorse your book and I will give you blurbs (laughs) to put on the next edition of it. Hoping you but will only change if it to I how change, to hold a grudge. Only but. if I change the title to how to hold a grudge. Okay, brilliant. That maybe we could compromise. I don't know. I don't know. I have to ask the marketing department at, at Hodder, my publishers. Uh, right. Do you have an example of a grudge that you can share with the podcast listeners? Uh, yes, I, I do, Sophie. And, and given everything you've said, I'm assuming this is a grudge that still has some anger and bitterness associated with it? Yes, it does. Oh, yes. Good. Not a huge amount. No. But, you know, when I think of it, I grind my teeth slightly. Right, right. You know, have fantasies of evisceration. (laughs) Um, So this is quite a few years ago now, um, more than a decade, certainly. I used to work for a newspaper um, doing various things, but one of the things I did quite a lot of was theatre reviewing. And one day I was sitting, I worked from home as a freelance writer, but, you know, with this attachment to them. One day I was sitting at home and the phone rang and it was the editor I worked for mm-hmm. on the arts page who said, uh, hello, Robert, we're rather disturbed. We've had the phone call from a rather big, important theatre uh, saying that you weren't at the rather big, important press night last night to, to review the play. Um, what happened? And I said, well, I had no idea I was supposed to be at this play. <laughs> and he said, ah, 
well, we emailed you two weeks ago to ask you to do it. And I said, I didn't get that email. And he said, well, we sent you it. And I said, yeah, I, I don't doubt it, but I didn't get it. And, um, you know, and hang on, you mean even though you'd not heard back from me saying, yes, I'm going to do it, you just assumed. <laughs> you didn't think to kind of pick up the phone and say, by the way, you did get that email. And he, he wouldn't take this at all. And, I mean, this this went on with... I, I then had his, his secretary, who was an extremely competent and nice woman, phone me up in tears saying, you've accused me of failing to send you an email. I said, no, I, I didn't accuse it. I just said it didn't arrive. No, and of course I, I went through, I not only went through my email folder, you know, I went through the trash and I went through the hmm. junk mail folder and I went back to the, I actually, you know, logged onto the, the, the server, my internet provider, so I could dig into their files to find it. I yeah. couldn't find it anywhere. And just look, I'm not saying nobody sent it, but for one of those, you know, one of those odd, inexplicable internet reasons, it didn't turn up. Yeah. And and that often happens. I mean, and that it, so often I, happens. It doesn't often happen. But anyway, I mean, this is, you know, and, and it, so we got to the point where, you know, I, I said, look, it just it just didn't happen. I wasn't there. Um, you know, do you want me to go again? And said, no, no, we're arranging for someone else to go and review the play now. Um, and then the editor, sort of finishing this conversation, just said, I'm still quite suspicious about this story that you didn't receive the email though just before we put the phone down and i have never forgotten that no that's very grudgeworthy and in fact the editor managed to be grudgeworthy on three separate levels so i would say in that grudge story there are three distinct counts of grudgeworthiness Uh, so one of them is he had no reason to assume you were going when you had not confirmed Uh, so i'm gonna In my book, I have a classification system where I try and always think of every possible classification of a grudge type that that I can. So I would call that the phantom confirmation grudge. And that's happened to me loads of times. Somebody has assumed that they've asked me if I can do something and therefore I can do it when I haven't ever written to them or rung them to say, yes, I can do that. And they imagine that this phantom confirmation that they never received has been received. So that is definitely count one of grudgeworthiness is a phantom confirmation grudge. Count two is he somehow conveyed to that assistant of his that you had said it was her mess up and you hadn't. You hadn't said anything beyond it never arrived. Yes. You never accused him or her of not sending it and yet he somehow managed to pass on an accusation that upset her which you then had to deal with. And count three is that last bit at the end, I am very suspicious of this story that you didn't receive it, which is basically a passive-aggressive way of accusing you of lying. Yes. Highly, highly grudgeworthy. That is a great um, story. And I'm sure lots of listeners have been in situations where somebody has assumed that they've confirmed something that they haven't confirmed. I actually have a grudge, now that I come to think of it, um, about a particular household that I regularly socialise with. And it's the opposite of a phantom confirmation grudge. I have an excessive confirmation grudge about that household because if, say, on a Tuesday, we exchange emails and I say, I'm still coming tomorrow, we're still on, I will be there at six o'clock. I send that on a Tuesday about an arrangement that's happening on Wednesday. 
twice on the Wednesday morning, I will get emails from members of that household saying, ETA still six o'clock. And then at four o'clock, I'll get an email saying, any update on ETA? And that drives me crazy because that's, we don't need to confirm anymore. I confirmed yesterday. I'll be there at six. That's it. Uh, So I'm sure listeners will have their own grudges in relation to excessive or imagined confirmations. Okay, before we finish this episode, I believe you also have some information about a particular writer from Days of Yore who wrote a lot about grudges. Is that right? Oh, I I wasn't sure you were going to (laughs) ask me about this. But no, this is is just something that occurred to me. I mean, the background to this is that when I was at university studying a subject I wasn't very much interested in, I spent the final year when I was supposed to be revising in the library just sitting in the fiction section, and yes. I read my way through most of Rudyard Kipling, right. who is a terrific author. Um, I mean, you know, his politics yeah. are really uh, quite shocking in, in places, but, you know, a wonderful craftsman and quite insightful about human nature and, and full of himself of repressed anger. And there, is, there are huge numbers of grudges in his short stories. Um, I mean, the, the Jungle Book, hmm. is there's, there's a lot of grudgy stuff in that. You know, where you find Mowgli, he's, he's part of the pack, and it's made very clear that the law of the wolf pack is that when you do something wrong, you get a kind of clip round the ear, you get some savage, vicious, short-term punishment, and then, it's, and then we move on. It's forgotten yeah. about, and it's made very clear that that is healthy. As as opposed to Shere Khan, the tiger, mm. who was lamed by human hunters and now ha- holds this grudge against all humans, and so he's hunting down Mowgli the whole time. So that's interesting. So you're saying Kipling himself had repressed anger, and yet he's writing about grudges being a bad thing and not holding grudges being a good thing. Do you think maybe that's well, why he's I don't repressing know. I his think, anger? I don't know that he thought they were a bad thing. But because his school stories, Storky and Co., they're all about grudges. You know, right. A master is mean to Storky and his friends, Beetle and McTurk, and they retaliate by killing a cat and putting its corpse under the floorboards of the house of which he is master right. so that it stinks throughout. And everyone, you know, this, there is this stench of dying cat throughout yes. the building. Stuff like, and there's a lot of that in Storky and Co. It's all about yeah. sort of really quite nasty revenge things going on. Um, and then there are some of his short stories. Um, there's there's a very famous one, which, well, maybe it's not quite a grudge story, called Mary Postgate, mm. which is set during the First World War. And Mary Postgate is a, she's a lady's companion. Yeah. A sort of servant, but not quite. And um, from the age of 11, she's been effectively in charge of bringing up her employer's nephew, yeah. who's a rather objectionable young man who patronises her and bullies her and tells her how stupid she is all the time. Mm. But she adores him. And he's and then and then he joins the Air Force during the war. Yeah. And she takes this huge interest in everything he does. And he's killed. And it's just, he's just killed on a training flight. There's nobody mm. nobody has done this to him. And shortly after that there's a building collapses with a huge bang in the village yeah. where they live. And Mary Postgate says it's a bomb. It's a, 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 a pl- I heard a bomb. I heard a plane flying overhead, and they've dropped a bomb. Those filthy hum. <laughs> and later, she's told by the doctor, "Oh, we discovered it was actually Death Watch Beetle that brought it down, and the big bang was just the beams coming down." But then, nevertheless, she goes back to her house, and she finds a German pilot hmm. has parachuted down, or simply fallen down, into the garden, and is lying there, 
really badly injured and asking her for help. And she keeps saying to him in very bad German, ich, ich habe den toten Kinder gesehen, or, you know, I've seen the dead child. And she accuses him of having effectively bombed this child, even though she knows that there's no bomb involved. And he keeps asking her for help for a doctor. And she just sits there and watches him die. Why? If she, she knows that he's not responsible. But to her, she is, because if, if, because the Germans started the war, and the war right. has killed the boy, who she adores. And also, she's been clearing out the boy's stuff, and it's things like he's kept a photograph of her, and all the letters she's ever written him when he was at right. boarding school, right. and things like that. So that although he's horrible to her, there clearly is... It's a very complicated yeah, story. Yeah. It's full of shades of feeling, and it's horrible. It's, it is this so, but it seems... meek woman who deliberately makes this man die. She could yeah. save him and steps back. So it seems as though Kipling writes both about people who enact their grudges kind of proudly, as it were, like this woman, yeah. and in the Jungle Book portrays the holding of grudges as a negative thing to do. It seems yes. like both of those are there in his work. And there is, in his own life, um, another of his really great short stories. It's called Baba Black Sheep. Hmm. And he also writes a bit about this in his autobiography, which is called Something of Myself. When he was very young, he had a sort of idyllic childhood in India um, and then was sent back to England to live in a boarding house mm. with his sister. And his sister, who was a bit younger than him, was treated as this delightful child and the, this couple who looked after them fawned on her and looked, you know, made much of her. And he was treated with contempt and he was sort of bullied and ignored and told off for stupid things. And, you know, he loved to read and the books were taken away from him. And then his eyesight started to get worse. And mm. they ignored, They told him he was just pretending and making a fuss to get attention paid. And his parents came back to visit and, in, and they immediately saw that he was seriously ill and, in fact, nearly gone blind. And his eyes right. never got... He, saw, he had terrible eyesight all his life. Yeah. Um, and the hatred he felt for these people i mean mm. it burns 40 50 years later in what he's writing wow it's um it does sound as though they behaved very grudgeworthily i would say that's true <laughs> and i would say he held a grudge and was quite proud of holding the grudge yeah and expressing it in prose doesn't seem to have lessened it really fascinating okay but he's the great master of the grudge anyway if you want to read about yes. grudges read I, I well i've never actually read him apart from the poem if which is what most people have read of him and, uh, but i am now definitely and going worth to hating him for that <laughs> i actually like that poem but i am going to get a reading list from you of rudyard kipling grudgy material robert hanks thank you so much for coming on the podcast and criticizing me and i think we can uh you know, agree to disagree, but we have agreed on some things, which is great. Thank you very much. I'll never forgive you. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Please write a review if you'd like to share your thoughts, though I won't hold a grudge if you don't, because that would be an invalid grudge. If you have a grudge that you'd like me to analyse in the next season of this podcast, please email me at grudgescanbegood at gmail.com. And you can use the same email to send me your questions about grudges. This podcast is on Twitter. The handle is grudgesaregreat. And I'm on Twitter at SophieHannahCB1. Details of how to sign up to receive my newsletter 
can be found on the homepage of my website, www.sophiehanna.com. In the meantime, grudge safely and grudge well. Thank you.